0: Hey, everybody. Today, we'll be speaking with Zan Armstrong. Zan is a freelance data visualization specialist with a background in data analysis. She's been a staff engineer in Google Research, where she integrated visualization with machine learning and high-scale computing applications to contribute to scientific discoveries. Zan also created the charts that Stanford scientists, uh, Bay Area public health officials, and the public used to track surges of COVID, monkeypox, influenza, uh, and other pathogens based on sampling sewage. Zan's work has been published in Scientific American and exhibited at SFMOMA and Ars Electronica Museums. As a data viz expert, she's been interviewed for several data viz podcasts, blogs, and books, including the very popular book Interactive Data Visualization for the Web by Scott Murray. Currently, she spends her time advising and prototyping to help teams discover important insights in their own data. You can read more about her and see her portfolio of work on zanarmstrong.com. Well, yeah, no, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks. Was, thanks for having me. I was really excited to meet you because um, once I started to look into your background, and so I'm a data viz type person myself. I'm not as good as you, okay, so. <laughs>
1: That's all right. There's no shame in data viz. No, yeah. Like, there is sometimes, but I'd rather there not be.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and there, yeah, there definitely shouldn't be. Um, I know you've told this story probably a few times, but I hope you're willing to share it again, just like how you got from being a... An analyst at Google, mm-hmm. or even before that, you know, if your journey started before that, if you started to get interested in visualization before that. But how you got from there to what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, it's funny, when I was an undergrad and, and I never had any idea of what I wanted to do with my life or my career, yeah. and I remember thinking, like, someday the story is going to make sense. When I tell the story backwards, it's going to make so much sense that I think it does with database. Um, But it really was a very, like, it all happened in a moment. I um, I was working at Google. I was a financial analyst. Um, so I was working with data every day. Um, and the Google offered these Google G to G courses, Googler to Googler. And at the time, Cole, who now runs storytelling with data and does public workshops and corporate workshops and organizations and a lot of different types of uh, workshops and trainings and data vis advising, uh, specifically on communication. She's written several books. Um, At the time, she was a Googler. She was a Googler working in people ops. And she taught one of these courses, um, kind of a really early version of what she's doing now. And three-hour workshop, half day. And I took it, and it just blew my mind. Like, I... Before that, I was making charts every day. I was using charts every day, but I'd never thought about it as a thing I could think about. I didn't know it was a thing that I could do with intentionality, um, even though I was literally doing it every day. And I think this is the case for a lot of data viz, is that um, we don't think about it as as a craft, as a skill, as a thing that you can, can really do with intentionality. Um, and so it blew my mind um, – And I was just so excited to come back to my desk, come back to my team, come back to my work and start using data viz, just being a little bit more thoughtful about what I was doing and and just intentional with like, why am I looking at it this way? Why am I using this type of chart? What other options could I have? What else can I try? Um, Why is this the metric that's on the Um, x-axis? And then also the workshop, of course, gave me some concrete skills for how to think about it things I'm going to talk about today uh, in in the talk, um, things like color and small multiples. Um, so I think these really foundational ideas, uh, and obviously in the last 11 years, I've, I've thought about them with more nuance than I did in that first workshop. But a lot of those ideas come back to that original workshop as well. Um, and and yeah, and I think for the next two years, i really using data as a skill in my work as an analyst. And then it was kind of two years in that for me, I was like, you know what? Like, this is actually the heart of it for me. Like, I am going to make that jump from data viz as a skill to data viz as a profession um, and and decided to make that leap. Um, but it also would have been totally fine just to, like – have had it be a skill. I think that's also a really, really valid and amazing path. And that's the path that most people doing data viz are going to take, is that it's going to be a really valuable skill as a part of their job as an analyst, a data scientist, a researcher, um, a communicator, a scientist, <laughs> a machine learning expert, software engineer, right. um, all those things. Yeah. Public policy. <laughs> yeah. And I think we really, I think that a lot of times, this I'll talk about this today as well in the, in the talk, is I think a lot of times we think about data, if we think about it as a skill, we think about it at the end for the communication. And it's, it's super important for that. But I think we also undervalue how much more we could be seeing in our data along the way when we're looking at our own data, when we are building a model, when we're looking at our data quality, um, when we're doing our analysis that I think that like, at the end of the day, like that is how we engage with data, whether we're looking at a table or, um, or a chart, like, we're looking, Almost in almost all cases, we're looking at it visually. Um, it is our only interface, and so if we do it better, we can see so much more.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when I was a data scientist, it was part of even though most of what I did was machine learning, um, it was definitely it, it was the funnest part of exploring the data for mm-hmm. me. You know, um, because just in general, you know, it it kind of allowed me to tap into you know this creative side of my brain that's been dormant for a long time um you know ever since back when I decided to be a math major um that part of my brain kind of went to sleep yeah and then you know I got a job where I was like actually looking at data and I got to you know got to visualize because I needed to because I needed to understand it you know and so I was um I was starting to uh dig into more like what you were saying earlier uh thinking about it more intentionally yeah and how can I how can I plot this and what am I actually looking for? Yeah. And are there sort of more interactive or more intuitive ways to look at the data that you don't always just learn about like the ways you learn about in class? Yeah. You know, with kind of your typical scatter plots and bar, you know, bar charts and things. Yeah. Which I,
1: I was also a math major and actually yeah. I what I loved about in a very kind of abstract math, like proof based. Mm, okay. Um and What I loved about that was like the idea of kind of finding the crux, like that the the proof is all about finding. Can I can I find the crux of what's going on here? And that's going to be the heart of the proof. And I actually data is one of the first times that I really felt like I came back to that feeling and got to rediscover that feeling. Um, Because for me, it is about data is kind of this like secret data strategy (laughs) where what I'm really doing is thinking about what's really important here. What's really important about this data What's really important about the problem, like why are we looking at the data in the first place? What is what do the numbers mean, um, and and how does that relate to how we look at the data? Um, one of my favorite examples just just uh, it was this metagenomics project that I did working with Stamen Design here in San Francisco. And um, then that actually ended up being it was it was made for scientists at Berkeley, um, amazing group, the Banfield group. And then um, it actually ended up being exhibited in SF MoMA, um, which is pretty exciting. And to me, one of the cruxes is they were looking at genetics. And in that data set, zero meant like not found. And one was like, this gene exists or this function exists. And then two or more was like multiple copies or like, but it meant the difference between zero and one was the most important difference. And the difference between one and two was like kind of important between two and five was like sort of important. Um, But in any like the normal ways that you visualize data, the difference between zero and one looks pretty small because it looks the same as the difference between 25 and 24, but in this data set, that difference was so important and so much more important. And we th- thought about how we, both in color and in other encodings, really focused on making sure that that was really visible. And that's what I gotta mean when I kind of come back to, like, what do the numbers really mean? What is the crux of what's going on? And then how to use visualization to expose that?
0: Yeah, it's interesting you could connect that to math and proofs. <laughs> uh, I. I- couldn't, because yeah. I, I feel the same way about visualization in that I feel like a detective, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a data detective, right? And I'm really searching for something, some answer to whatever their customer's problem is. Um, but I did not feel that way when I was trying <laughs> proofs. Sorry. I'm sorry.
1: I think I was fortunate that uh, I, I, I was actually lucky that I think that my math department at Williams was actually a particularly brought a lot of creativity and joy into math. So okay. I, was able to, I was able to get that experience as a math major as well. Yeah,
0: no, that, that, that's good. So um, I think you mentioned that you took some kind of time off to to learn more, <laughs> um, and it's good that you got to take advantage of the training opportunities that were available yeah. right, at the company. I know a yeah. lot of companies try to do that, and yeah. it sounds like these were really useful for you. Um, but how did you learn when you weren't uh, at the company?
1: Yeah, so I do want to I wish call out. So I got I had another amazing opportunity at the company. Um, I ended up arranging. Uh, to do kind of an internal sabbatical with Martin Wattenberg and Fernando Viegas, who were running the big picture team at the time, Focus on Dataviz. Um, they've broadened into human-computer interaction. Um, they're running the pair group uh, for a long time at Google, and now they run pair at Google, and then they're also professors at Harvard. Um, and I had just an inc- unparalleled opportunity to be able to go and continue doing work on revenue analysis, uh, but under their mentorship. So I spent six months kind of with this really Dataviz focus on revenue analysis, and that was just incredible. Um, but yeah, I think there was just this moment where I, um, I mean, I think it was, it was a lot of things. It was the commute to Mountain View. It was, it was, uh, I think I was a little more burnt out than I realized okay. and I just really wanted to kind of take a, take the full leap with like both feet in. Um, I, I, some people are really great at like learning on the side. I like to just like dive in with both feet and put myself in, in the hot water and then figure it out. So, um, I, uh, Took a little time um, just doing some creative stuff, actually, doing a school for poetic computation in New York that was all Mm -hmm. about art and code, which was great, but really actually was, like, it's actually data viz. Like, it kind of reinforced it, like, no, it's data viz for me. That's the heart. Um, And then uh, started learning D3. Um, At the time, that was, I think, I mean, D3 is incredible. Um, I think especially that kind of, like, it was 2014, I think, was a really, an era where not as much had been built on top of D3. Um, And... Really exploding the possibilities of what was possible with D three, and I think that there, for me, there's a lot of different pieces of D three. I think for me, the things that were so powerful was just that, like, like it's so based on this mapping between numbers and and visual form that you're really like the one crux of D three when you're really writing your own D three code is this like saying is defining that transformation, saying, okay, I'm going to take these like these numbers coming in, and I'm going to turn them into colors, I'm going to turn them into position, I'm going to turn them into size, into shape. Um, and I think that is is really powerful as a way of thinking about what what is that visual encoding, because you're really tightly in control of it, you're touching it right there. Um, and there's other ways you can think about that, I think all the grammar graphics tools, so ggplot and R also has fantastic elements of that. Um, but I think that was, to me, the coolest part of D3 was just this like I can choose any mapping I want. I'm not confined to what somebody else has decided as a chart. Um, I can I can make the mapping that makes the most sense for the problem I'm trying to solve.
0: Yeah, um, you know, in my kind of limited experience with D3, yeah, you, it does force you to think about the smallest details at so low level, right? Yeah. and and it is very flexible. But how do you? Um... Like, did that come naturally to you, or did did the training that you know any of the the, the workshops that you've done, uh, did that help?
1: Um, let's see. <laughs> I think I think one thing that's interesting with something like D three is that the people are going to find different parts of it hard based on what they're what they're coming in with. Um, a lot for that was my intro to web development. So a lot of stuff that I struggled with was the web development aspects of D3. Whereas that mapping felt very mathy, it felt very data-y.
0: Okay.
1: For people that have more of an engineering background, a web development background, for them they get to them some of the, the some of that mapping part that finally I was like, I'm home. They're like, whoa, this is not like normal front-end development. <laughs> and right. um designers might come in and be like, Oh yeah, a Bezier curve. I've been defining Bezier curves in Illustrator forever. And it's actually pretty amazing Illustrator. It doesn't take much to pull back the curtain and get to the math in Illustrator. Um, I actually had one project where I was working with Nicolette at Stamen, and she was she's an amazing designer. And she had done some designs, and I was trying to recreate them with code. or like, have that with code, but have it be interactive. And I was like, just show me your numbers. And so she showed me the numbers behind the Bézier curve. And I was like, oh, I can see how, like, I can see. Okay, now I know what I need to write. <laughs> um, so props to, to designers who, uh, like, just, like, I think that they, they bring a lot in, too, of, of not just... Um, the design, but also thinking about shape in a different way from the tools that they they've used. Um, so I think it's really I think kind of getting out of like a, this like easy to hard spectrum and thinking of it more of like well, where what what strengths you coming in with and what's going to be hard and um, and I think. There's a, I mean, D3 is absolutely incredible. And I do think there's something really, really powerful about that incredible customization. Um, but you don't need to know D3 to do good data viz. Yeah. Um, and the toolscape is evolving. Even Mike Bostock um, and with Phil, are they've written observable plot, which is kind of more of a GG plot level of abstraction uh, built on top of D3. So that's in JavaScript. Um, you've got Seaborn and Python. You've got a lot of got data wrapper that a lot of journalists are using. That's incredible. Um, and obviously, I mean, there's a whole whole suite of tools that have been built. So I think um, that are solving different parts of the problem. Um, and I mean, even like I've seen like I've seen a ton of really good stuff in Excel. Cole and John Swabish both do all Excel based examples. Um, so definitely encourage you like start with the tool that you have and that you're, you're using, and start there. Um, don't feel like you have to. Like jump into learning a new tool to be able to do good data. I think it's better to kind of start wherever you are and just think more intentionally about what you're doing um, and how you can make the most of the tool that you're currently using. And then you can think about what investment makes sense um, as you want to build out your toolkit.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, I'm going to pivot a little bit here. Uh, (laughs) So are there any, um, like, are there any current uh, visualizations that you've seen out there Mm -hmm. that have kind of blown your mind?
1: Oh, my God. Uh, There's so many. (laughs) Let's see. Um, I love the Flowing Data um, blog and and resources from Nathan Yao. I think it's just yeah. a great way to keep an eye on what's happening in viz. Um, there can be so much happening um, that it can feel overwhelming or a lot of it's happening kind of in like different Different niches, different domains, and so uh, that blog has just been such a critical part of, of my database experience um experience in terms of kind of discovering. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up. If you're like, oh, like I want to learn more, I want to see more, um, follow that. There was one, so there's one that I was talking about a couple days ago. That it's a, it's an oldie book goodie. Um, it's by Jim Valandingham, and it was called The Racial Divide. And this came up because I was having a conversation about like when is when is animation really valuable. And in the racial divide, what it does is it – it you start with a choropleth map. So, like, you start with a map of St. Louis or Seattle or San Francisco um, where each – I think it's each census tract is colored uh, from – based on the racial. Uh, I think it's just black and white. Um, uh, or maybe it's diff- – I'm not sure exactly which the metric is, whether it's, like, overall diversity or, or how black versus how white. But um, – and then – after you look at the map for a couple of seconds, it shatters and it uses a force layout to push apart um, to push apart tracks that are uh, by how different they are, and so it just you just have this visceral experience of the city shattering, um, which I think is a lot of the history the history of redlining that got us to this place where you do have census tracks that are neighboring that have such different racial. Racial makeups because of who was allowed to buy a house there in the nineteen forties and who wasn't allowed to buy a house, um, and I think it just kind of has this like, it's very data driven, and it also has this very kind of visceral experience of like the animation creates this sense of shattering, which I think, is is in our history and that we're still reckoning with today, um, and how to kind of like, undo some of that shattering and then to to build bridges together and to 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 come together. Um, so uh, that's just one that <laughs> I happened to be talking about mm-hmm. recently that I think um, is really special. But man, yeah, there's so much. Good. I think, and I think that that tying of technique, technique and feeling, and what's true to the data, I think is that's what I look for when I think about what makes a great fizz. But yeah, and I, I mean, I guess in terms of other, like, there's some amazing communication viz out there that I think can also. I love some of the information's beautiful work by um, totally blanking on uh, Duncan uh, and that shows some of the like some of the successes that we've had there's actually this great it's a great set of charts that show hey for a long time the amazon we were saving the amazon like it was getting better we were saving the rainforest um and all these other things um i think that was a kind of a really cool series where data could feel help you feel like to recognize some of the successes that we've had as a species uh, to uh, to address some of our big issues and challenges um yeah <laughs> cool
0: yeah are there any uh so just kind of a question for you like are there any YouTube channels or anything that you that you watch what people are doing I like
1: yeah I'm not as much of a video watcher. I, mean, okay. I like yeah. a lot of the conference okay. talk uh so I, I enjoy conferences and I okay. think that some of the conference I love conferences that put their talks online I think it's good for the conference I think it's good yeah. for the speakers I think it also means a really high level like when you know that that's going to be online forever <laughs> it makes for high level talks um so outlier run by Datavis society um is a virtual conference it started in 2021 um they're all online open visconf was just an incredible conference that ran for like six or seven years um and those are all online um i spoke in 2016 <laughs> um, <laughs> lots of good videos in 2016 um uh i o e y e o um if you're kind of more on the arts side arts and data uh, but it's also some really like that's where i think mike introduced t3 um, or talked a lot about d 3 um i think i'm missing one what am i missing SciPy on the more uh, Python side has okay. some great talks. Um, there's probably more coming out. <laughs> yeah, oh, Tapestry uh, run run by Tableau had some nice more on the storytelling side. Um, had had some nice talks. I went to that in 2016, um, 2017. Yeah.
0: What was um, the one you said? I uh, O
1: E E Y E O. Okay. So it's I it's it's pronounced I O. Um, oh yeah. Okay. There were 10 years of that conference. Um, they just had their last conference this summer. Um, their farewell. But uh, oh, no. that's and that's really kind of on the, like, um, more on kind of what are the amazing things you can do with computers, but includes data.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned art, right? Um, is, I mean, is that something that you feel that you have, like, do you have uh, kind of an artistic bent? Do you think it's something that's required to work in data viz?
1: Oh, uh, I don't think you should. I, I think there's a lot of cool art that's related to data. You definitely do not need to think of yourself as an artist um, to to work in data viz. And I, I mean, I think it's also artist such a term that I think people have strong feelings from, like, when they tried to draw something in second grade and somebody didn't like it, and like then they were like, "I'm not an artist." So like, I also think that's just a uh, I think I think more of us are artists than we think we are. But to uh, to yeah, don't uh, don't feel like you need to be an artist to uh, change how you visualize your data. Um, and I do think that reclaiming the pencil, <laughs> reclaiming markers is good. Mm-hmm. Um, in one meeting, I actually brought colored pencils. Uh, I'd gone to Target, got a bunch of colored pencils, gave them out to my team. And I was like, we need to sketch more. Um, and part of that is part of the tools conversation, because I think that sometimes when you go to your tool first, when you go to your computer first, you the visualizations you make are the visualizations that are kind of the tool most gears you towards. Um and kind of what, how is the tool set up to, like, what kind of is the, the default paths in the tool or the easier paths, which sometimes are great. But sometimes um, I think there's a lot of power in drawing on paper and sketching it out. Like, what do you, what are you imagining? What's that picture? You have a picture in your head or you, you likely have a picture in your head. You have some idea of, you have some mental model of what you think the data is. So get some of that on paper. Um, what is your mental model? What is your sketch? Um, and then, and then start with that and then go to your, to your tool and figure out, like, okay, how can I get as close to, to what I'm thinking of as possible? And there's also a great moment of, like, does the data look the way you expect it? Because now you've put this assumption down. Um, there's an incredible series from New York Times called You Draw It, which actually has people do this just this. You will have some question, like, uh, what some usual you know, social level data. like I think it was, like, uh, income percentile was one of them versus percentile going to college or percent going to college um and you they gave you one or two anchor points and then you draw the graph that you expect it to be and so you have to think about like well what what do I think the relationship is between these two metrics um and then they go ahead and do the reveal of what the real data is and I think it's really powerful because like once you see the answer you're kind of like oh yeah of course that's the way it is but like when you have to actually commit and say and think about like what do you expect it to look like then you can have this moment of surprise that like really helps you question your own assumptions of like oh like that wasn't what i expected like why is that different than my expectations
0: right I, you know i was um so one thing like working with working with a lot of data scientists i've i've seen a little bit of um you know hesitation or you know reluctance to mm-hmm. do to to visualize the data you mm-hmm. know they, they may go through kind of a, a you know standard a minimal eda process mm-hmm. and and I've I felt that they maybe they were holding back because they either didn't know how to do it or didn't feel like they were creative enough, creative enough yep. uh, to do it properly. Yeah. Um, and so that's that, that's just something yeah. like curious your thoughts on is this something you can you know you can just you can learn you know if if mm-hmm. you if you you know maybe through some courses that you've taken or something like that like you you can learn how to be a good data visual data viz expert. And even if you don't have that sort of underlying, you know, creativity or artistic side to you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think that's I mean, I think that's super true. What you said. I've run across that a lot where people are reluctant to and like it's some it's some combination of think it's a nice to have or that it's not going to be worth it. But also I think a sense of like, I don't know how to do it. Um, some maybe shame, like I'm going to do it badly and break some rule (laughs) um and I think that um and I think there was really there was kind of an era in like the 90s and 2000s where there was a lot of like data as rules and like pie charts are suddenly bad and rainbows are bad and like you're gonna lie with your data and so I think that creates a lot of fear um and I think the bigger mistakes are often what you don't see because you didn't didn't give yourself the chance to see it, and um, that kind of—not, and, and I don't want to say bigger mistakes, but I, think that I guess bigger missed opportunity is um, the charts that we didn't make are probably are the charts that we haven't made yet have so much more opportunity in them than um, than the risk of a particular chart being bad. Right. Um, and yeah, so I really want like, and I really hope for there to be less data viz shame and more more data viz. Conversation and and more of tying things to the why and I should say I have uh, one of my visualization or a version of my visualization a visualization I made that then was was you uh, reused and was actually on TV it made it into one of the Twitter channels that's like I forget the name of it like there's several Twitter channels that are like data shaming channels oh, okay. and so I have successfully been data shamed wow. on the internet <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think the first time I posted something on the information is beautiful channel on Reddit people came back with saying like oh you can use this to make swastikas and like oh it should have been more like fewer lines of code and I was like I'm out like I'm not posting here ever again um so I think it's a really so I think I guess one thing is like if you put stuff out there and and uh you get a negative reaction I'm sorry try to find somebody else to go to and uh it I it happens to it happens to date of his experts too yeah (laughs) um (laughs) And, um, but yeah, I think, and I think a lot of the principles that I talk about, um, the way that I try to approach data viz with people when I'm doing workshops, when I'm talking about it, when I'm advising, when I'm talking through a process is, is not just this kind of like abstraction of like, oh, this is a good practice this is a bad practice, but tying it back to purpose, tying it back to what's happening in the data. And I think that makes it a lot more grounded and a lot more empowering when it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm making arbitrary decisions about color. It's like, well, I'm choosing these colors because I, like, if I'm looking at unemployment data, like... I know that f- around five-ish percent is what economists consider, like, a reasonably healthy amount of unemployment for a society to be, like, for an economy to be functioning. And more than that is is too much, and less than that is kind of, like, there's there's too limited demand that can constrain things, too. The people that are unemployed might argue with this being a good number, but <laughs> um, but it means that you can, like, use that information to inform how you're choosing to do the encoding. Like, maybe you put A bar between five and six percent, so you can see below and above. Maybe you uh, you put lines or grid lines there. Um, Maybe use color schemes that like have a diverging color scheme, so there's a sense of more or less. uh, Where the difference between three and seven is different than the difference between seven and eleven, because seven and eleven percent unemployment is like like a lot of unemployment versus like a lot, a lot unemployment. Mm -hmm. Whereas like three versus seven percent is like low unemployment versus high unemployment. So I think there there's ways. That grounding, I think, helps people feel empowered because it doesn't feel like this like arbitrary, like, I'm just doing things and I'm going to do it wrong and it's going to be bad. And more like, oh, I have a reason for this and my assumptions are visible. And if people disagree with it, we can talk about the assumptions and be like, oh, well, like, this other economist says 4% is what's healthy. And you can be like, oh, well, we could look at that instead and look at it that way. Um, but trying to to connect things to to assumptions and to, to purpose, I think, can be really empowering. Um and uh so yeah i would encourage people to to try
0: <laughs> yeah no me too i wonder if it's just a question i've had you know since working working as a data scientist for you know like for about 10 years and maybe maybe it's because a lot of the data scientists i've worked with have uh maybe it's not something that they learned in school you yeah, know it was yeah. just, yeah, always a question that I just kind of had is how come they, you know, they don't really look like at the data, and yeah. they don't look at it in different ways, and it's sort of like they do the analysis in the way that they've been taught, and then you know they train the models. Yeah. Um, when, yeah. yeah, and
1: I think I think it's a mix of. I mean, yeah, I think it's a mix of like what's being taught, what. what was being taught what is being taught um data viz is coming into curriculums more both the in grad school of course okay. and undergrad um there's some great programs uh i think john swabish and some collaborators put out some stuff recently for schools my friend kristen hunter thompson on the east coast she's uh she runs a group that puts out materials for schools um and um so i hope that we're valuing it more i think it's a cultural thing about like do we value those squishy, soft things? <laughs> um, does it does it feel as rigorous, um, and are we uh, comfortable with it? Um, but yeah, I, and I think, but I hope coming from an engineering background, I, mean, I think that I think also like, is it a nice to have? Is it about making the data pretty, um, or is it about the difference between getting the answer or not? And I think I've worked a lot of times with data visualization, where, like the goal of the data viz isn't isn't to like have this five percent improvement, but the goal of the data viz is, is like it's a difference between making the discovery or not. It's the difference between does your business succeed or not. And I think framing it in those terms can, um, can hopefully help people see like, this is, this is not this extra thing that I can choose to do or not, but like right. this is a critical critical part of my job. And hopefully the more that we do it that way, the more that it can be valued for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think here in, you know, in the, uh, the, the master's program here, you know, we, we do emphasize some of those soft skills a little yeah. bit more. So I think that's good. You know, I, I think, I feel like we're, you know, the, the Students that we have here, we're training them to be able to do these kinds of things and with, with more confidence.
1: Yeah. I'm so excited to see what's coming out. And I think, I mean, I think this kind of thing we can kind of do it sneakily. Like if you want to, invi- if you want to improve your database skills, just start improving them. And you don't have to, the impact in your company, like when you're writing your, when you're writing your uh, promotion statement, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I made this great vis. It can be like, oh, well, I made our company profitable. <laughs> I, right. I, or yeah. like for the, for your research to be like, oh, like I published more research papers because I made more discoveries. That were more impactful because I visualized my data better. Yep. So it doesn't your impact can come from the thing that you're trying to do. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: so, um so how about the I guess just the job landscape, yeah. you know, for, for people who have these types of skills. I've looked into it myself because like I said, I, I do find it fun. And I remember yeah. maybe like a couple of years ago thinking about data journalism, something yeah, like yeah. that. So I mean, what do you see out there as the opportunities?
1: I mean I think there's, there's two ways of thinking about. It. I think there and again I mean, it's kind of on a spectrum but there's there's data viz as a skill and data viz as a profession. So just like writing like we there are writers, there are many many types of professional writers. Same thing. There's data viz specialists, there's data viz practitioners where data viz is the heart of what they do. And there's many types of that. There is data journalism. Um there's data viz advisors like me, there's data viz for communication, there's freelancing, there's in-house teams. Um there's data as engineers, like there's a, there's a lot of different, there's even once you're a specialist, there's a lot of different ways of being a specialist. And at the same time, just like writing, the vast majority of people writing professionally are doing it in service of something else. They're doing it um, as a part of their job, whether it's marketing or just communication, management, um Venture capitalism, anything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) medicine, uh, public policy. Like, there's so many ways in which we write effectively as part of our jobs. Um, And I think the data viz is the same where 99.9% of people invest doing data viz are going to be doing it as a skill. And so, in that way, like any job working with data, data viz should be a critical part of what we're doing. So, invest in those skills. You don't have to like shout to the moon of, oh, I'm doing data viz. Like, just do it and be better at the job you're doing. Um, be better at the thing you're trying to, to do. And for database practitioners, um, I think it's an interesting question. I think it's a, it's a changing landscape. It's changed over the last 10 years. Um, I think it depends on how, I, and if it's evolving, um, I think we are increasingly valuing the skills. Um, I think as the tools change, it also, like some, some jobs are gonna be really tools aligned. Like there are people that have amazing careers as Tableau creators and they've aligned um they're really really good at using that tool um and there's a huge need for people that can use that tool really really well and so i think that's one way to go is to to align yourself with a tool in a community um another way is kind of like the engineering side like internal um dashboarding pipelines building tools for that are visualization based um the information like information and communication side um is another huge area um, both for people being in-house and freelancers. Um, some people that really want to specialize in data viz, do you freelance? That's what I'm current. I've, I've been both in-house and freelancing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's benefits to both. There's the agency model where you'll have a data viz agency, uh, which is a great way to have collaboration where you have you have other data viz specialists that you're working with um, and a company or an organization might hire for like one project at a time. Um, so I think it's evolving. Um, it can be difficult because I think it's it's still like that's, we're still working on that story of of why is a skill valuable. Okay. Um, but I think it's also something that like design, design UX, user experience research, like so many of these evolving, data engineering, that like that didn't used to be a thing. Right. <laughs> and now we realize it is and yeah. we're starting to hire for it and specialize more. So I think, Things that kind of were these broad buckets in the past are now getting a little bit more specialization.
0: Okay, but still, I mean, it, it's it's super broad. I mean, yeah. there there's so many things. There's so many, so many ways to do it. <laughs> right,
1: um, and you can evolve. People, you can come in and out. You can you can evolve.
0: Yeah, yeah. You never have to be the same thing forever. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Nice. I mean, it's really great meeting you and getting to talk to you and. Um... Good luck on your talk.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks. I appreciate all the questions and, and helping tell the story. And congrats to all the, the, the amazing program you guys got here.
0: <laughs> Thank you.